Hi, everyone, and welcome to the GoTech Please Don't Die podcast, a show devoted to tech going and hopefully not dying. I'm Nathan. I'm Evan. I'm Matt. I'm Josh. And this week, we keep that train running, going, whatever, whatever trains do, and do part two of our part whatever of where are they now? Hell yeah, we do. And for those who didn't listen to the last episode or any of the ones before that, every now and then we do one of these where they now episodes where we take some former tech players, usually players. I mean, last week, one of them wasn't. <laughs> Sorry. And yeah, that's, well, that's, I, that's played, anger. Voted he played SimCity, right? I mean, oh, yeah, that, that's a that game. I feel like we simmed the last week of our lives. Yeah, went by real quick. And we'd oh, yeah. love to see what I, they've done have, since they've I've already moved track. to Texas. Hey, I'm in Texas now, guys. <laughs> Woo! At night. Big and bright. Clap, 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 clap. And I'm married now too, so that's pretty big. Oh yeah! Congrats, Nathan, on your marriage. Congrats, Nathan. And I'm still a fat chip eating whore. Yeah, Matt, Matt is still <laughs> working on that bag of so chips. So many chips. <laughs> a lot of damn chips. When does it end? It's like Hermione's purse. <laughs> or Mary Poppins would have Good been. Reference. Anyway. No, I don't. Please. Anyway, so this go. time, Evan, Matt, and I will have players to talk about. And so this time, Evan's going to go first. Evan, who you got this time? All right. So I was really, really trying to cover this guy named Caleb Martin, uh, but I could not find enough information about him. All I, I'll, I'll just say what I know about a He played tackle at Tech, offensive tackle, and then he played one season for the 1947 Chicago Cardinals. 47? Which, yeah, they won the NFL championship that year over the Philadelphia Eagles. But that seems to be the only season he played, and I can't figure out why he stopped playing, what happened to him afterwards. I couldn't find anything else about him, so I decided instead to do one of his teammates, Mike Reed. So Mike Reed was born in 1925 in Centerville, Louisiana. Uh, In 1941, he was part of Ruston High School's state championship winning team, and then he came to Tech in 1942. Um, in the 42 season, he probably didn't see much action, but the Bulldogs had a pretty decent year going six and three. I believe that was Joe IA's second or third season. Nathan, do you remember? That sounds right to me. All right. So that year we beat UTEP. We beat the Waco Army Flyers. We beat Marshall, Sam Houston State, Southeastern, and Memphis State. But we lost the state fair game to Northwestern. We lost to Southeastern in a second game, and we lost to someone called Harden Simmons. Um, so yeah, six and three, not oh, bad. I know, I know Harden Simmons. Mm-hmm. Do you? I think they're. Uh, Where is Harden Simmons? I think they're in the Baylor system now. Huh. Abilene. Yes, the middle of nowhere. Interesting. Hmm. Nope, it doesn't look like they are in the Baylor system. Hmm. So in Texas somewhere. Shout out to my brain for being dumb. They're private Baptist, though, so that could yeah. be Baylor. Uh, I was thinking of University of Mary Harden. Anyway, oh. sorry to derail the podcast. Nah, you're good. We haven't done that so, before. Yeah, <laughs> right. So after he turned 18 uh, in 1943, I don't know if anybody knows what was going on then. Um, but no, could you educate me, please? <laughs> so our guy, our guy Mike, registered for the draft because What's that? he was an 18 year old man okay, in 1943. Gosh. Uh, and like so many others, his age at the time, his name was called and he went into service. Uh, so what, he became, which NFL team picked him? <laughs> the United States government. Yeah. The United States army air Corps is who picked him. So, uh, he became a pilot. He trained in Lansing, Michigan. Um, and he was trained specifically to fly B 25s and do something called snag troops and equipment gliders. 
I tried to figure out what that meant. I could not figure out what that meant. So maybe somebody else knows. So he was away from tech for three years, you know, serving our country, you know, defeating fascism and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And he returned to Ruston in 1945, where he played like a man amongst boys because he had just gotten back from, you know, <laughs> war. So was he the Brandon Whedon of his time? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. yeah, I mean, except he played. He, he played both ways. He played offensive and defensive line, and he dominated oh. opponents on both sides of the ball. Oh dang! God. Um, he became the first Tech player ever to be named a uh, Little All American, which is just a non-major college football All-American. So they still have that award now for like Division Two and below. Um, but he was the first Tech player ever to be honored with a national award like that. And he did it in back-to-back Ooh. seasons, 1946 oh, wow. and 1947. So he was pretty good. The highlight of his career, though, was undoubtedly his performance against the Ole Miss Rebels in 1946. Like, Ooh. his... Performance in this game was so good that they referenced it in his uh, obituary in 2014. (laughs) So, yeah, so it was pretty good. Um, He played both ways in the game and was a huge part of the reason that Tech held on to win 7-6. to Many sports writers said that this was one of the biggest upsets of the year across all college football. Um, I could not find any specific write-ups of the game, but I did see that at the end of the season, Ole Miss players voted on their all-opponent team, and they unanimously voted to put Mike on that team. So Ole Miss was like, damn, that dude is good. Um, that dude is good. Yeah. So in 1946, the dogs ended up going seven and three. Um, I didn't list out all the teams they beat here, but we did beat ULL 36. So ah, just thought that was worth mentioning. His oldest time. <laughs> right. Uh, then in, in 47, he followed up his uh, first little all American campaign with the second one. He was also named who's who at Louisiana tech. And the Bulldogs continued under Coach Joe IA, this time going five and four, but they did pick up a conference championship that year and beat ULL nine to zero. So I think that was the year where they went five and four, but all five wins were over conference opponents and all four losses <laughs> yes. were over non conference <laughs> opponents. Yes. That, that sounds suspiciously similar to other years. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that was that year. As a tech player who spanned both sides of the war, Mike Reed was an inaugural member of a group that called themselves the National Association for the Advancement of Grandstand Quarterbacks. According to our guy, Teddy Allen, the idea for this started when Joe IA met with the team in 1943 to tell them that since so many of the guys were being drafted, there wouldn't be a season that year. He wanted each player to know that Tech would honor their scholarships when they returned uh, at the end of the war. Also, Teddy Allen said that all of the players that were drafted did come back Um, except for one guy who was not fit to play football after the war, but he did Mm. still play baseball. So that was interesting. Anyway, in 1949, when the servicemen slash student athletes had completed their athletic eligibility, they decided that every year they would come back to Ruston for a game to see each other and hang out. They adopted that whimsical name, the National Association for the Advancement of Grandstand Quarterbacks, and eventually invited other players who played in the late 40s and early 50s. And they met every year, even into the 2010s. They were still coming back for games, dinners, dancing, golfing, uh, just hanging out, you know? So it's pretty, pretty cool story. Um, as for Mike Reed, he had the chance to uh, play for the Chicago Bears following his tech career at, in 47. But he chose instead to follow his father's footsteps and stay with the family business. 
Uh, the Reed family sawmills were wildly successful throughout Louisiana. They employed hundreds of men and women uh, for decades. Um, so, you know, not a bad choice. Mike Reed was in- inducted into the second Louisiana Tech Hall of Fame uh, class in 1985. And he was also named to the All-Century team in 2001, which if anybody has access to that list, I would love to see it because I could not find the whole list anywhere online. I could only find the best 50 players in Joe IA Stadium history, which obviously does not include Mike Reed because Joe IA Stadium was not built until the 60s. So uh, anyway, he, he passed away in 2014 and his obituary says that he will be remembered most for his gentle and humble spirit unconditional love for everyone he knew and he had many friends whom he loved dearly and helped him live a long happy life so that's nice yeah um on his passing also the louisiana state legislature honored him by passing a current resolution with the senate in memorial of his life so that was pretty cool that's awesome yeah also i tried to find out if he was related to ethan who you know is this subject of my greatest failure um, <laughs> but, uh, I don't think he is related cause Ethan is from sulfur and it seems like his family still lives in North Louisiana. So, um, I don't know though. could be a cousin or something, but didn't appear to be that's, uh, that's Mike Reed. All right. And so since Matt has been jumping at the bit to provide his player for what is, I guess, over a week now, Matt, who do you got? Now? <laughs> what What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Matt's ready. So Matt, no. Matt's uh, where are they now player uh, person <laughs> is uh, Matt Gallion. Myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Okay. Yes, I was ready. I was thinking of that SpongeBob episode where Pat, like the musical notes get on Patrick and he's like, get him off me, get him off. <laughs> and I was, I distracted myself. <laughs> okay. So I didn't know we were doing this until today. And, uh, Decided that since Evan was being delayed by AT&T to very quickly look up a random player and find out as much about them as I could and share them with you guys. My guy's name, I think it's one of the coolest names of any athlete to ever come through Louisiana Tech. My boy, Mickey Slaughter. Mickey Slaughter. All right. All right. I know a bit about this guy, too, but I'm not going to jump in with I what I I recognize the name, but I'm just going to. My yeah. boy, Mickey Slaughter. Real name, Milton Slaughter. Went by Mickey, whatever. It was the. It was a different time. Uh, Mick, <laughs> I'm going to call him Mick. Mick was... <laughs> <laughs> we're we're friends on Facebook. beat you up. We're friends on Facebook. <laughs> uh, so, Mickey, uh, like someone else mentioned earlier in this podcast, was from Monroe, a.k.a. Funroe. Uh, played for the Bulldogs for a couple of years in the early 1960s. Trying to get information on this guy's college stats proved to be impossible. I could not find anything about his time in college. So, while details on his college career are sparse, he is more well-known for having at least what I would consider to be one of the worst NFL careers I've ever heard of. Or <laughs> <laughs> uh, in fact, his continued employment in the NFL for as long as it went on is one of the greatest anomalies. Uh, now he's really going to kill me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Mickey Slaughter played for the Bulldogs for he was drafted by the uh, in the AFL by the Denver Broncos in the seventh round, which somehow is the 50th pick, which I guess makes sense in 1963. So he played for Tech. I'm going to go ahead and speculate at least between 1958 and 62 and 63. So when he was drafted, uh, he sa- he actually ended up setting 
several franchise rookie records. Now that sounds great. <laughs> that no, sounds, that sounds great at first. Uh, but actually, he was awful. Um, he was one, one, five, and one as a starter his rookie year. As of 2017, the as of the 2017 NFL offseason, his 1689 yards, 15 interceptions. Oh and five interceptions in a single game. Oh my God! Remain Broncos rookie records uh, for the rest of his career. All with uh, the Denver Broncos, he started just twelve games, only won two of them, lost fifteen of them. He and... only won one more game <laughs> after his rookie season. <laughs> he won two more. One. Wait, wait, one second. Also, too, because. He started 12 games and ended with a record of two wins and 15 losses. Oh my God. Yeah, I don't really he somehow lost that. more games than he started. Yeah. I don't know how that works. Either way, he had 291 completions on 544, 584 attempts for 3,600 yards, 22 touchdowns and 38 interceptions over a looks like three to four year career for the Denver Broncos. So, my boy Mickey, aka Dicky, aka Dick Slaughter. Um, <laughs> He's seventy-eight. He's not listening to this. I hope not. He hear me call him the Dick Slaughter. Um, but anyway, uh, so Mickey Slaughter's NFL career or AFL career, I should say, because the merger didn't happen until the early seventies. His professional football career was fairly was fairly abysmal. He was not a very good pro pro football player. But after his football career ended. He went back to Louisiana Tech shortly after leaving the AFL in 1966 and earned his MBA, Master of Business Administration degree from Louisiana Tech. Uh, Also, let me back up real quick. He actually doesn't even say what high school he went to. What the hell, Dick? He went to Bolton High School. I went to Bolton. Well, there you go. So where's that? Alexandria? Yep. Oh, okay. So there you go. You guys all on the Louisiana Tech Hall of Fame page too? (laughs) I'm on Wikipedia, but you know. So, even though his professional football career was mostly terrible, he left the AFL uh, and decided to go back to Louisiana Tech, where he earned his Master of Business Administration degree. And in 1967, his former high school football coach, Maxie Lambright, offered him Who's an assistant. Uh, well, <laughs> come on, Josh. That's where the pool is, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. He's okay. he the guy that created the outdoor pool. The Lambright Center was coaching the team. Sentient <laughs> building. Monster house. <laughs> I'm starting to get scared, <laughs> given the circumstances of tonight. So his former high school football coach, Maxie Lambright, turned Louisiana Tech football coach, offered him a position on his staff in 1967. He accepted and became a coach. It says he coached the offensive backfield for 12 years. I think, I'm not 100% certain, that I have met Mickey Slaughter, and it's been seven years, and I'm sure he remembers me, so... Yeah, he's going to come find you now. He's going to come find you. He's got a photographic memory. He remembers you <laughs> that day. And so, geriatric man is going to come kick your ass. <laughs> 78 years old. He's the same age as my grandfather. Show some respect, you goddamn asshole. <laughs> oh, man. I found my next player. There you so, go. So, I'm not finished, goddamn it. Is your next player the guy who's also on that Wikipedia page? Where Mickey Slaughter was inducted into the, the Hall of Fame or whatever, alongside a bunch of people, including hot air balloonist Bill Bussey. <laughs> Wait, what? It, it was not. No. It no. is not. I found it on the Google Images page, and I'm, you know what? I'm running with this because this, 
We'll do that. That'll be next time. I mean, Bill Bussey was inducted into the Arkla Tech Sports Museum of Champions <laughs> alongside Mickey Slaughter, and now I, I need I'm to know s- everything I'm about this hot air balloonist. I'm wow. sticking with what I know. I got another CFL legend. <laughs> oh my God, Josh. <laughs> anyway, besides the fact that I may or may not have met Mickey Slaughter, uh, his time at LaTeX ended in 1978. He coached Terry Bradshaw, Phil Robertson, uh, Boo. Might have to edit out the Boo. And uh, several other players uh, during his time there at Louisiana Tech. He was inducted into the Law Tech uh, Athletic Hall of Fame in 87. His son, Bobby Slaughter, Bobby Slaughter. Uh, yep, played football at Law Tech, was an All-American wide receiver in 1990. Couldn't find a lot about him, though. Was drafted by the 49ers in 91 and apparently never quit playing for them because it doesn't say when his tenure there stopped. So, <laughs> he's, still, he's still there to this day. <laughs> 30-year career. <laughs> <laughs> in his early 50s playing wide out <laughs> uh, and later oh, Trent on Taylor in, can never get put in exactly in 2016 Slaughter was inducted in the Arklatech Sports Museum of Champions and uh, yeah that's pretty much where it ends um, he had an unremarkable pro football career for the Broncos ended up coming back to La Tech and ended on a high note uh, coaching uh, for 12 years winning a couple of national titles and now I am sure settles somewhere in Louisiana where he is anxiously awaiting his turn to roll his wheelchair over and take out my Achilles tendon. <laughs> so real quick, <laughs> his stats at Tech um, included being what first team all-conference. It, it's on the LaTeX Sports Hall ah, of Fame okay. cool, uh, entry. Cool. So he was first team all-conference three times and was named to the Williamson All-America team in 1962. So that's pretty good. Um, in his senior season, he passed for 2,714 yards, 16 touchdowns. And it, it says that he still holds tech records for the highest percentage passing in a season with 64.6. I and, feel like that's not correct. And for a career with 58.5, I feel like those have probably been passed. And I don't know if this is like literally just the entry they wrote in 1987. I mean, uh, I mean Kobe Cameron has to beat the single season run. But then, hey, I mean that's that's a good season, especially for back then, right? Twenty seven hundred yards, sixteen touchdowns, pretty pretty considering good. Considering they were running the ball a lot, yeah. Yeah, and then here's what it says about his uh, in this entry. I find this funny. Um, after graduation, played four years with the Denver Broncos of the AFL before Lambright asked him to join his new staff. So like, it doesn't say that he was pretty bad <laughs> in the AFL. It just says that Lambright was like, <laughs> "Hey man, you want to come coach?" And he's like, "Yeah, fuck oh, yeah. Pro football, I don't care." <laughs> no, he was categorically awful in the AFL. <laughs> what was that percentage real quick? For the passing uh, percentage? 64.6 in a season and 58.5 for a career. That can't be the highest. Ryan Higgins in his senior season was 66.3. Okay. That may not be the highest, but that's just going page by page looking. But So yeah, I don't think that stands. But again, I think he could probably still beat me up. So you get the record. So that's why for my player, I picked a player that's dead and can't beat me up. Smart. Smart. Yeah. My player is Innes Telfair Oaks. Okay. He was born in 1883, which was two years before Rustin was even incorporated. And 11 years before tech was even a thing. You read my next note. Anyway, he attended the school sometime between, you know, 1894 when the school was built and opened and when the first yearbook was published in 1905 because I checked several yearbooks and he wasn't in any of them. 
So that kind of one source narrowed it down between 1902 and 1905. So somewhere in there, because it's so long ago, there's not a lot to talk about tech wise with him. We don't really have a bunch of box scores dating what back to that. He, play? he played baseball. Okay. I figured now, since you were doing yeah, it. But, yeah, yeah. 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 I had to get my baseball guy in. I did. I did soccer a second ago or last week. Same thing. So had to do baseball here. But again, so not a lot of sports records were kept at that time. Not a lot of tech records at all are kept. But one thing that that uh, someone else found that I found that they're finding of it was that uh, Oaks organized a football game on campus in 1902 to uh, raise money to buy sports equipment for the different sports teams on the team on, on campus. The team he coached in this little football game were called the Oakites because he's Oaks. And so he named the team the Oakites after himself. Brutal. Very humble. Um, naming things after himself <laughs> would become a theme, by the way, but we'll get to that later. What's his name again? Ennis Telfair Oaks. Ennis Telfair Oaks. Okay. Yes. E-N-N-I-S is his first name. Don't Google him. Okay. Um, I won't. Okay. I was halfway through typing his name. <laughs> so uh, rather than finish his time at Tech, what he really wanted to do was be a professional baseball player. So especially at the time. He figured his best path forward was to just go join and play minor league baseball wherever it would take him in. And where it did take him in was a minor league team in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. After that, he Ew. went to a Greenville, Mississippi, which is where I evacuated from Katrina. And that's really the only fun fact I have about that place. And Not then he ended up in Cedar, in Cedar Rapids for what would now be a double A team. Then okay. he got promoted to the Los Angeles Angels, which sounds wow. like a really big thing. But this Ooh, was... A PCL team. This was a triple A team. Uh, they, they played in the same league that the New Orleans Zephyrs, and I won't refer to their other name, would later the play baby in. Cakes, baby. Zephyrs for life. One could argue that the Angels baby are still a triple A team. <laughs> they have Mike Trout. Why are they Mike so Trout bad? Mike is wasting away on a team that will go nowhere. He's rich. That's true. But so while he was on the Angels, one important fact about NS Oaks is that he was given a nickname. That nickname was Rebel. He started being called Rebel Oaks. Uh, Rebel Oaks. Rebel Oaks. That one may be more Googleable. Anyway, so before the 1909 season, the Cincinnati Reds, who actually were an MLB team, traded for him, and he started in his first year in the majors. Um, so at this point, I want to talk about how he kind of played the game of baseball. He was a center fielder. Like many center fielders, his main trait is that he was fast because center field has just a bunch of ground to cover. Um, his batting wasn't all that great, but he bat pretty well at 270 in his rookie year in the majors when the league yeah. average was 244. Um, okay. This is uh, kind of this is the dead start ball. of the dead ball era too. So the yeah, ball. Um, not a that, lot of. What does that mean? Can someone explain that to me? Pitcher's good, batter's bad. <laughs> and now it's live. Was ball there a reason pitchers. for that, or was it just the game was in its infancy? Pitchers figured out off-speed pitches and stuff like that, and it, yeah. there, was uh, a, yeah. there was a big catch-up game. Listen, like all sports, we're all we're just trending towards more offense and less defense. Yeah. It is what it is. Gross like understatement today. of it, but that's that's Not basically my baseball. Sorry, yeah, apologize. What? <laughs> Come uh, on, Josh. You like yeah, baseball, man. don't you? Go Rangers. Who? Kore- Koreans are good at baseball, Josh. Shinsu Chu. Whoever that is. Anyway. Uh, Oaks was not a home run hitter. Not that there were a lot of home run hitters at the time. He had spent five years in the National League and only hit eight home runs. But again, his his main trait was that he was fast and he played center field well. But 
he could have played it better. The way he played is in center field, he would kind of cheat up towards the plate a lot or towards second base. And so what would happen is the ball would just get hit over his head. He'd run backwards and make some spectacular catches, but sometimes the ball would just drop in behind him. And uh, one commentator said he'd be a really, really good center fielder. If only he'd play back a few. (laughs) (laughs) Were there no coaches or something? What does a baseball coach even do? Excuse me, a manager. Oh, yes. I don't know. You don't know. I mean, nowadays they do all kinds of positional alignment for that kind of stuff. But I guess at the time you just you do you. (laughs) But so I wanted to talk about his playing style and especially his speed in particular, because I want to talk about one play that happened on August 6th, 1909. When the Cincinnati Reds were hosting the New York Giants before they sold out and moved to San Francisco. Francisco. So it's a tie game in the bottom of the 10th and Rebel Oaks comes up to bat with one out again, dead ball era. So a bunt is actually a pretty smart play. He bunts the ball towards third. The third baseman throws a bad ball towards the first baseman and Rebel is able to advance either to second or third before another bad throw allows Rebel (laughs) to run home and win the game. Or in other words, <laughs> Rebel Oaks had a walk-off, bases-empty bunt. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what a wow, that's crazy. <laughs> Was it speed in the on 9,000? <laughs> Naruto run around the bases. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, no video from the era. So, yeah, that's what you want to picture in your head. <laughs> so the chances <laughs> that right Naruto ahead. ran around the bases are greater than zero. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where What's do you think Naruto on? got the idea from? But yeah, so that was his uh, only year with the Reds after that. <laughs> what? <laughs> I just had a process. <laughs> that was really good. Okay. After the Reds, he moved on to the St. Louis Cardinals, a team I don't like very much. And we're also not very good at the time. Uh, there were eight teams in the National League at the time. Here's how the Cardinals finished in the four seasons that Rebel Oaks was on the team. They finished seventh, then fifth, then sixth, then eighth. And so the last year in St. Louis, Oaks was probably the best player on a bad team, and he really hated that. He didn't care that he was the best player. He just wanted to play for a good team. Um, He was offered a $3,300 contract to stay with St. Louis, which is about $84,000 adjusted for inflation. Um, It still doesn't sound like a lot, but the max contract that year was Ty Cobb's $15,000. Good Lord, Ty Cobb. Man, inflation is wild. That's an inner yeah. circle great right there. Yeah, but again, Rebel just didn't want to play for a bad team. And this was before free agency was even really a thing in baseball. In order to join a different team, he had to sit out a, a full year without pay. And modern, modern free agency didn't even become a thing until an antitrust lawsuit reached the Supreme Court in 1972. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. There was an earlier ruling that said that baseball was entertainment, so not subject to antitrust <laughs> situations. And then, and but now... It took until 40, 1972 for that to kind of not be true anymore. And then 47 years later, you got players signing $400 million contracts. Yeah. Shout it's, out Mike. That's crazy. Crap. I'm talking to, <laughs> or, you know, shout out. Well, actually not shout out Bryce Harper. He's an asshole. Yep. I agree with that. So again, Rebel didn't want to play for a bad team and he didn't want to sit out a year. So he found option C or three or whatever. Um, you see in notes of the XFL, some were tired of there only being two major league baseball leagues, the National League and the American League. And this was before they'd more or less merged. So some rich white guys founded the Federal League with teams like the Chicago Whales and the Kansas City <laughs> Packers. Chicago Whales? Whales. That doesn't even make sense. There's no whales in Chicago. <laughs> well, yeah. Lake Whales. That's how you look at it. <laughs> Josh, 
There were. You can interpret my statement any way you want. There were uh, packing plants in Kansas City, so that sort of makes that makes sense. But Rebel didn't join either of those two teams. Uh, he joined the team in Pittsburgh, which was called the Pittsburgh Rebels. And you might be thinking, wait a second, Pittsburgh is definitely north of that Mason-Dixon line. <laughs> Why are they called the Rebels? Turns out we had these problems even back Was then. it because he was on the team? It was because they signed Rebel Oaks to be their player <laughs> and their manager. Wow. That's right. Wow. For the, wait, second, wait, wait. for the second time in a row, the player I'm talking about had a team more or less named after them. Wow. Man, wait. Tech was really influential on Wait a minute, wait. So if he... The team was was the team purposefully named after him, or do they have a name? Before? So they named that they named themselves that the year that he joined the team. They were called something else before then. Okay. Uh, it is uncertain if it's actually related. There's nobody saying, "Hey, look, we're naming the team after you," but it seems way too much of a coincidence to be anything else. <laughs> yeah, Rebel Oaks. What a crazy motherfucker. But yeah, so he played. He wasn't signed originally to manage the team, but the original manager was fired after starting the season four and eleven. Uh, Rebel Oaks immediately turned the team around. They went 20 and 21 at one point before injuries caught up and kind of tanked the rest of the team season. The next year, this is 1915, went better. Uh, the Rebels finished third in the eight-team league, only a half game out of first place. And there's no real playoffs or anything at this era either. Um, but in addition to both playing and coaching at this point, Rebel Oaks was also recruiting American League and National League players to this new federal league. And he was really good at it. He was given the nickname Chief Raider for how adept he was at raiding the other leagues and getting this those dude, major league players to Chief come join Raider the federal Rebel. league. He has so many nicknames. He had a different nickname at Tech that I didn't even include, and I already forgot. <laughs> but but the federal league ran out of money, which was sad. So they folded in 1915, which is why they just don't exist anymore. 1915, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so, so Rebel was in that league for two years, but both the NL and AL wanted nothing to do with him. He was effectively back blacklisted for Major League Baseball oh. because he kept raiding all the other players. And so they were angry <sighs> at him. Um, he did have some playing time with minor league teams, uh, but really it was about time for him to hang up the cleats. And that's where he got into the oil business. Oh, my God. I, I'm suspecting that that went very well. Well, Probably. in 1919, it was reported that Oaks had struck oil on his Lisbon, Louisiana property. It was rumored at the time in the press that he had traveled to Pittsburgh and tried to buy the Pittsburgh Pirates with his new wealth. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> this man was just waxing shit. This man's new money. This man's yeah. like, f*** it, I'm going to Pittsburgh. Let's go. He allegedly offered. So this is because, remember, he played on the Pittsburgh Rebels. So he already knew the area pretty well. So he was like, fine, you want to run my league out of business? I'll buy the other team here. <laughs> Uh, he allegedly offered a million dollars to buy the team and he wanted 1.5 million to sell it to him. But it turns out the oil well that was drilled was actually on his cousin's property. So Rebel got oh. nothing. Oh, no. <laughs> but Rebel had smelled that little that, bit of uh, that, that little bit of money that could happen from this. So he kept hey, working in oil. That's what we in the business call a big oof. <laughs> yeah. You're not in the business. I used to be. What? Just <laughs> used you, to be destroying our planet. Were you an you oil <laughs> tycoon at some point? I, you know, he was. Than, he was an oil tycoon. Yes. Yes, <laughs> I was an oil tycoon. Wearing a monocle? No, 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 no. I wore two monocles. Oh, okay. 
We call them glasses. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was just imagining you wearing two monocles. <laughs> I'm so fancy, I wear two monocles. Oh, it's like that Kevin Gates song, you know? Please keep going. I got two monocles? monocles. Um, anyway, so Rebel, using some of the skills he used when he was playing for the Federal League to try to Coerce, not coerce, but get other players to come join. The, Sexually uh, the coerce. <laughs> entice him. Entice was probably the word I was looking for. Do you want to see my anus? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh man. Oh, this code is going to be great. <laughs> I don't know who's laughing. It's me. Um, oh, okay. You have a. You have a lovely, you have a lovely laugh. Thank you. So again, those skills he used to recruit players to the federal league worked out pretty well in serving him in post baseball careers. Um, he did eventually hit a jackpot, a jackpot oil strike. So yay! But in order to really capitalize on it, he had to sell much of his other land to be able to finance the drilling of that oil, and so he netted a profit, but not really much of him, not really uh-huh. much of one. And so when he died twelve years later, he was. Pretty much broke, which is really kind of sad, Um, especially because his impact on the oil game was kind of not all that big. I mean, people in Lisbon, Louisiana may disagree with me, but he was a pretty important figure in early baseball. Uh, The Federal League changed a lot of things in both the American and National League and how they did business the same way that like as much as the XFL is a joke, the original one changed a lot of things in how the NFL did their business. That's true. Not only was he the first rock. Yeah. Um, not only was he the first player or manager from tech, he was also the first manager from the state of Louisiana. Wow. Oh man. And again, the federal That's league cool. eventually folded, cool. but rebel was one of the few things that really kind of held it together there near the end. This was a deep find. Yeah. I do want to make one more note about the federal league, um, more for personal reasons and less for tech or rebel Oaks related, but several federal league owners bought out NL or AL teams. Once that federal league folded, one of those guys was uh, Charles Wiegman, who oh. owned the Chicago oh. Whales. The team he bought out was the Cubs, by I, the way. I know where this Yeah. And uh, Wiegman moved the Cubs into the stadium he had just built for his Whales team, which was called Wiegman Field at the time, but is now known as Wrigley Field. Wrigley. Huh. Interesting. And the Cubs just got their asses waxed by the Royals 13-2 to today. Oh, it was bad. The second best record in baseball still. So I'll, I'll I, hold on to that for a little well, bit longer. We're not finishing the season. It's so. been 12 yeah. games. You <laughs> may only play 13. That's <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that's Rebel Oaks. Uh, someone who I'd kind of dismissed early on because I, I did the report on uh, report. I talked about George Stone in the past, uh, yeah. the last baseball player. I saw Rebel Oaks and was like, oh, he's so old. He probably doesn't have a lot of information on him. But no, there's a lot about him. And it was a really interesting dive into research. Shout out uh, Tech Alum or yeah. whatever. Well, from here, this is what we're going to do. We'll cut to whatever the tweet of the week is, which we won't know because it's not that week yet. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now, hey, we're in the future now, I guess, or the present or future podcast. Yeah, we're going back to the future. I don't know. There's something there. Anyway, we're coming to you the day before the the episode drops to do the tweet of the week since it would be kind of hard to have a tweet of the week when we recorded the episode two weeks ago or maybe we always knew this tweet was coming maybe that's maybe that's it or maybe we just recorded everything last night too and we're just lying about having it ready ahead of time 
Could but either be. way, this week's tweet of the week goes to at Chase Blackwell one, also known as just Chase Blackwell. He was the first one to get his name, I guess. Who or he tweeted? Hmm. Maybe he <laughs> wasn't he, the first one because then there yeah. wouldn't be a one. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, the second one, but then he has a number anyway. Uh, it's one of those memes where it's the the two astronauts where one's looking at the Earth, the other one has a gun pointed. Good to meme. Him. Good yeah. meme. Usually makes me laugh. Several of these have been hilarious. This one is no different. The guy looking at the Earth says, wait, it's the Power Five. And instead of the Earth, it's a bunch of conferences, including the SEC, ACC, Big 12, American Conference, and Conference USA. And the other guy says, always has been. So Coos is a Power Five now, I guess. We made it by being one of the five conferences that are still playing football. Yeah, well, there's six. And that's the funny part to me. This has an additional layer, and it's that the Sun Belt is not one of those Power Five conferences. that's, That's not a real conference. I've never heard of it. You're lying to me. Maybe that's all the power six propaganda that the American athletic was trying to do last year. They were trying to be bros and like bring in the Sun Belt. Yeah. That's a nice gesture. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you kind of feel bad for schools like ULM and we'll talk about that scheduled game uh, next week. I think we'll do more, some more preview things, assuming that the schedule isn't canceled by then, but yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's the point where I feel bad for ULL or for ULM. Yeah. Don't feel bad for ULM. I, I would never feel bad for ULM. Anyway, that's the tweet of the week this week. Just jumping in here right at the end to bring you that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But thanks for listening to the Go Tech Please Don't Die podcast. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at G-O-T-E-C-H-P-L-S-D-N-T-D-I-E or head to our blog, gtpdd.dog. That's D-O-G. Until next time, I'm Nathan. I'm an astronaut meme. And Evan and Matt are nowhere to be found, but Go Tech Please Don't Die. Please. delicious fucking chips <laughs> <laughs> there's the second there's the second cut oh yeah uh, shove it in my mouth oh